0: Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Um, This year, 2024, I said I'd mostly do LGBTQ focused podcasts, but then sometimes I'm aware of a story that's not LGBTQ focused, and I just feel like that story still needs to be on this platform. And so that's one of these stories. And the background for this story is my friend David Miller um, sent me um, the homecoming talk of his daughter. Sister Lily Prisbury. Um, and I read the talk um, and I was just so deeply moved by her talk that I said to Brother Miller, I said, Do you think your granddaughter would give this talk on the podcast? And he connected us together. And um, Lily is now a returned missionary and willing to give her homecoming talk on the podcast. And um, Lily's going to talk about serving in the Philippines as a proselyting missionary transitioning into a service missionary. She's going to talk about scrupulosity, really important subject that this podcast platform has addressed in the past. And she has this way of just saying how she found God's love in all these experiences that was just so deeply moving to me. Um, And so um, welcome to the podcast, Lily.
1: Thank you. I'm so happy to be here.
0: This is like homecoming talk version two.
1: <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's so, kind of terrifying, but exciting.
0: <laughs> and so um, Lily lives in Fruit Heights. Um, she's preparing to go back to school in the fall. And she's applying to a couple different Utah schools. She's the oldest of five. Um, I've met your parents before, Jared and Rebecca. Prisbee, awesome human beings, awesome Um, people that have raised a really remarkable daughter in you. And so I feel connected to kind of three generations of your family. Um, But Lily and I said a prayer, and we just hope if you don't quite feel like you may totally fit every check mark and totally belong and are totally just a traditional Latter-day Saint, where all the boxes kind of click, this talk might be helpful to you to find your place in the church and feel like you're loved and belong and Um, hopefully it'll help us understand more about scrupulosity and also those that are serving proselyting missions and service missionaries. We've never had somebody on the podcast that's done both. We've had service missionaries on the podcast and proselyting, but as you know, listeners, those are equally needed in our church and equally valued and, and both report to a mission president. There's not a separation there that's occurred. That may have happened after you came home, but with that, I'll just Turn it over to you, Lily.
1: Awesome. Thank you. So just jump right into the talk.
0: Yeah, that'd be great. It's like we just had the intermediate hymn and we're all in your congregation (laughs) and you're walking to the stand of the microphone and here you go.
1: Okay. Sounds good. So um, my mission has been an interesting one. It's been colorful and unique and maybe a little bit unorthodox. To give you the really brief overview, I spent six weeks in MTC learning Tagalog, after which I traveled to the Philippines where I simultaneously fell in love with the people and realized very quickly that proselyting was not the right fit for me. And so even though the decision to leave was so painful and difficult, I decided to come home and serve a service mission. I served my service mission for seven months. And at just about my 10 month mark, not 18, I gave my homecoming talk, even though I had already been at home for seven months. Right before I left on my mission, I gave my farewell talk in which I shared some really personal experiences and struggles. I talked about my wrestle with painful perfectionism and faith-related guilt. Since then, I've learned that there's actually a word for that, it's called scrupulosity. Now I don't believe in condemning myself to labels or diagnoses, But as I've learned more about scrupulosity, it's been comforting to know that my struggles are real and that I'm not alone in it. So to define scrupulosity, and I got this from Wikipedia, it is a pathological guilt or anxiety about moral or religious issues. The term is derived from the Latin scrupus, a sharp stone implying a stabbing pain on the conscience. Conscience. And honestly, that's really how it felt like stabbing. I became so fixated on perfect obedience that any thought or reminder of God was agony. Because to me, it was a reminder of how far I was falling short, and that terrified me. I relate so, so strongly to the phrasing of Romans chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, where it says, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. The reason I'm sharing this again is that today I'll be talking about what I learned on my mission. Prior to my wrestles with scrupulous perfectionism, I thought I knew God. I was certain I knew how to recognize God's voice and hand in my life. But in hindsight, the all-consuming guilt I felt for every misstep didn't come from any God I'd want to worship, from any God I'd want to someday grow to be like. And while this realization was a good one, it shook me thoroughly because I found myself, just as I started an 18-month mission, needing to re- re-evaluate, reevaluate everything else I thought I knew and all the different aspects of my testimony that I would built around my previous and painful perception of an ever disappointed God, one who approved of my use of guilt to motivate, shame, and condemn myself. It was through my mission that I've begun to find God, my God, a God that feels real to me, who is so incredibly patient, loving, and accepting that I still struggle to comprehend how I deserve it. So today I wanna share the small moments and experiences that all combined into my perception of God To begin, I want to talk about how I found God in the Philippines. I found God in the Philippines, in the people. I found God in a tatai or a grandpa who saw that I was crying at church on Sunday, heard that I liked mangoes and started showing up every single week with a grocery bag full of mangoes from his tree. I found God And my companions and housemates who were so kind and patient with me even as i wrestled with the idea of going home and i was unable to support them or help them with the work or sometimes even leave the house i found god in a young boy who without us asking helped my companion and i carry our groceries two miles to our apartment Now, if you're unfamiliar with the climate of the Philippines, all you have to do is go in a sweat lodge or a sauna and turn on a heat lamp over yourself and you'll get the general idea. So for this boy to carry our groceries so far in the heat of the day was pure kindness. I found God at a time when I needed something to brighten my days and an elder from my district went out of his way to help me find a guitar. Trying to cheer me up, he then brought me extra strings, picks, and a guitar strap out of his own pocket. Despite that, as a Filipino missionary, he had little money for himself. I found God when my uncle showed up outside my apartment when I really needed someone to to hug me and talk to me in my language. He brought me food and pastries and helped me know that even though I was considering coming home, I was still loved and accepted by Him, my family, and God. I found God in an experience with a Filipino woman I met. My family suffered a great loss just days before I left the MTC when my aunt passed away from cancer. She was only about 30 years old, and she left behind a husband and three little kids. It was so painful and upsetting to me that I was not able to be at the funeral or with my family during that time. I could see that my mom was struggling and yet I wasn't able to be there for her. But when I went to the Philippines this woman I met had also just lost her daughter and she had lost her daughter suddenly. Her daughter had also been the same age as my aunt and who had also and had also left behind three little kids the same ages as my precious little cousins. And so I pulled up a picture of my aunt. And though I could say very little in my broken Tagalog, all I could really say was, it hurts, it hurts, I'm sorry. And we hugged each other and we cried. I found God in that conversation. I found God when members who invited me to join their choir and in doing so gave me an outlet and something to look forward to. I found God in my companion, Sister Celio, who listened to me and let me talk out my feelings, even when she couldn't always understand what I meant. I found God as I wrestled with the idea of going home and I really struggled because the option that felt right to me also looked a lot like failure and that really scared me. And even though I cried often, my companions stood by me and comforted me. This meant so much to me because the Filipino culture is one of reservation and saving face and it was embarrassing for her to be with me as I cried openly in public. I found God in my mission president who listened to me, to my questions and doubts without judging me because he recognized that this for me was growth, that my asking of questions was helping me to reframe my view of God and build a new testimony. I am so grateful that when I explained to him that I felt strongly that I needed to go home, he chose to trust in me and in my ability to discern the path I needed to take. The God I found in the people of the Philippines is one of kindness, generosity and selfless love. Since coming home and serving my service mission, I found God in so many more ways in ways I needed to that I don't think I would have that I would have if I had stayed in the Philippines. I found God through service. I found God while listening to faith-related podcasts like this one and audiobooks, that helped me feel seen, understood, and accepted as I tended the temple grounds and served with my hands. I found God as I served the people who came to the temple, who came seeking peace and comfort. I found God in an honest and open conversation with a teacher I TA'd for at Fairfield Junior High, a conversation where neither of us tried to convert each other, but instead we both shared the good that we found in faith. She's Catholic, and through our conversations about kindness, acceptance, authenticity, and God's love, I found that she is a beautiful Christian with values that are in harmony with my own and a desire to become more like Christ. I found God as I sat with high schoolers in seminary, and I learned from them and their unique perspectives and testimonies. But one of the most transformative ways in which I found God was through failure and through opening myself up to things that scared me. I found God when I left the Philippines and the Filipino people behind, and yet I came home to a family who loved me and welcomed me home with open arms. I found God when I felt so guilty for leaving behind my Filipina companion and didn't feel like I deserved to still be a missionary, and yet instead of condemning me, God sent me a friend as my new companion. I found God when I quit serving at Fairfield because I was feeling too overwhelmed and emotionally drained to continue. And the teacher I was serving, instead of expressing anger or frustration, sent me a kind note and French candy. I found God when I lost my motivation and I went into hibernation for a while, and yet life went on I didn't die, my potential wasn't permanently lost, and eventually I came back again. I found God when I got a second ear piercing to prove to myself that my worth and innate value goes far deeper than how perfectly I've checked boxes. And in that moment somehow, instead of feeling guilty, I felt so loved and seen by God, and I felt like I was worth it. I found God in moments that I was overwhelmed and feeling like a failure. I, put, I found God when, in moments that I was feeling overwhelmed and feeling like a failure, I put my hand on my heart and no matter how stressed I was, it kept beating. And it reminded me that no matter how many t- times I fell short, the life that God breathed into me remained. I found God when I watched The Chosen for my studies because I couldn't bring myself to open my scriptures, because some of the fire and brimstone wording was too triggering for me. And yet, though I felt like I was breaking the rules, the messages portrayed in the show did not condemn me as my own guilt saw fit. Instead, The Chosen brought to life the humanity and imperfection of the people Christ loved, served, and helped, and it showed me that I am worth loving too, in spite of my weakness. I found God when my service missionary leaders, the Morgans, trusted me and believed in me. They trusted that though my studies and my service weren't always traditional, I really was connecting with God in my own way and that I was using my unique strengths to serve others in a way that worked for me. I found God every single time I took breaks from my meetings to walk around for a moment, take a deep breath and clear my head, and then I came back feeling better than before. I found God when I left in the middle of a zone conference, a big four-ish hour meeting that's held once a month because I was feeling frustrated and overwhelmed. I found myself stuck on the more human aspects of the meeting, topics that I had questions about, interactions that felt awkward and uncomfortable, and just an overwhelming fear that, because of my conflicted feelings, I didn't fit, I didn't belong. I found myself so tense and upset that I decided to take a break and get some fresh air. And so I left. I took off into the mountains with my dog and I prayed and I listened to podcasts and I sat quietly and I appreciated God's creations. The ice crystals that sparkled on the trees, the sunset as it burned red and the sounds of the river and birds. And that day, even though I wasn't where I thought I was supposed to be, God still loved me gave me this beautiful world to appreciate. And even though I wasn't sure I deserved it, God comforted me and I felt seen. And so the biggest way that through my mission I found God was by falling short over and over again, only to find each time through tiny and precious moments that God's love remained. No matter how many times I fell short in my own eyes and I didn't show up like I thought I should, God's love remained even when my love for myself didn't. As I planned out my talk, I was unsure of how to communicate this part of my learning experience. I don't want my intentions to be mis- misunderstood. Please understand that I do not wish to undermine the value of developing good spiritual habits like regularly attending church meetings and making time to connect with God through scripture study and prayer. These habits are so important because they give us a structure, a safety that we can fall back We can always fall back on especially in times when our strength is depleted and our spiritual muscles are tired instead i share these experiences with the hopes that we can all just be a little bit more open-minded with open hearts i know from personal experience how easy it is to judge those whose actions and choices we don't understand or agree with it can be scary to accept someone who is walking a path that differs from our own I found myself before judging, avoiding, or even trying to change others out of the fear that their questions, choices, or weaknesses might upset my own progress, afraid that they might pull me with them down a slippery slope that I'm afraid of. But really, I think we know very little of the paths that other people walk. As I look back on my journey of finding God's love through failure and breaking the internal rules that held me captive to my fear of messing up, I can see how it might have looked to an outsider, like a following away, like spiritual atrophy. But for me, it was actually the process of growing closer to God. It was a sacred and necessary experience that allowed me to witness for myself the unwavering love of my heavenly parents. And my faith, my testimony exists because of it. It is God alone who truly sees and understands our hearts. The fraction of others that we see does not show the full picture, but God sees and God loves. So the simple message I hope to get across today is that I believe with all my heart that every kind of person is welcome in God, in Christ, and in everything good. And I really mean every. The God I have come to know through my mission is kind, patient, and loving. God sees what we are, that we are doing our best with what we understand, and what we've been given and loves us still. I've come to really appreciate how the account of the New Testament exemplifies this, showing that Christ ate with, connected with, and healed all kinds of people, people who had made terrible mistakes, who had hurt their own people, who had been hurt by people, and people who were doing the best that they knew how. If this is truly Christ's church, then everyone is welcome here, no matter where they are no matter where they are at on the path of life. And for those of you who are considering or not considering serving a mission, I hope to share from my heart to yours, how much you are loved. And if you have the desire to serve, grow and learn that there is room for you in the mission fields, whether you feel you have a strong testimony or you don't, or even if you don't feel like you have a testimony at all. And no matter what your level of ability level of ability is, there is room for you, and there are opportunities for you to be an instrument for good in God's hands, in the mission field, and out. I've learned firsthand that that formal missionary service isn't always the right choice at any given moment. It's truly a decision to be made between oneself and God. I really had trouble figuring out how to put all of this into words, so I hope that it's all made sense. I hope that I'm able to communicate the love I feel for each of you, for for each of you, like me, have God in you. And quoting 1 John chapter 4, God is love. This beautiful tangled mess of an experience that I shared today was my mission. And though the twists and turns and the things I learned were not what I'd anticipated, my mission meant everything to me. As you can probably tell, I'm not a black and white, fit the mold, perfect kind of person. But I served as a missionary, and I hope that through what I've shared today, you all can see that if I can be a missionary, you can too. I'm so grateful to have been given the chance to share with you what I've learned. It meant so much to me that I was asked to speak, even though my mission wasn't perfect or traditional. There's good in all of you, and I'm thankful for it. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
0: Amen. You know, I was really moved reading this, but I'm even more moved hearing you give it, Sister Prisby. Thank you. And I have a hard copy in front of me, listeners, and I just kept underlining things you said. You have this gift of bringing vocabulary um, in a really thoughtful way to be able to share your heart. It's one of your gifts. Um, as Thank I usually so as I usually do listeners. I kind of then want someone share to like could talk in this case, kind of go back to the beginning, and this isn't scripted. So this is kind of I told um Lily, this is like going out to lunch and or having her come off the stand and spending some time with her and just asking her further questions. Maybe some of the questions you have about her experience that in a homecoming talk, she wouldn't have the chance to fully share. Um, I love how you were so open about your scrupulosity and, um, and so brave to figure that out. Um, I became so fixated on perfect obedience that he thought a reminder of God was agony because to me he was a reminder how far he was falling short, and that terrified me. So that's a um, pretty good insight into someone that feels scrupulosity. Um, talk, talk more about just how did you figure out you had scrupulosity? Was that all on your own or did you have somebody sort of um, help you find this?
1: Man, it was so, such a process. Um, initially, it was on my own. And then as I began to understand more, I reached out to people. But I think the learning process really began when I hit a breaking point. That's actually what my farewell talk was about. When in college, I became so incredibly fixated that, I mean, I was apologizing to God multiple times for things like eating too much for breakfast or not feeling spiritual. When I was saying my Morning prayers, and I would just break down crying. And I had never been at that point before in my life. And it was at that moment I realized this cannot be God. If it is God, then I don't want it to be God because God is supposed to be perfect and I'm supposed to want to be like Him. And if this is God, I, d- I don't want to be like God. And so it was really just an incredible moment for me. And it was painful and scary because. I realized that these spiritual promptings I thought I'd been having all my life were not from God. But at the same time, it opened up all these new possibilities of learning a loving God and having new spiritual promptings that actually brought me peace instead of pain and fear.
0: Did you go, if you're okay talking about this, did you go to therapy? Or did you just once understand what it was that you were able to just um, understand this isn't a spiritual weakness, this is a mental health issue?
1: Yeah, um eventually I did go to therapy. <clears throat> I think first I started reaching out to my family. I was so blessed with with parents who were willing to listen and understand. And then as I did so, I was directed towards podcast episodes which was really helpful in my understanding of what I was dealing with. And then once I understood what I was dealing with, I went to therapy and had the language, I guess. To be able to ask questions and ask
0: for help at that point. Um you you had a phrase in here I've never heard before, faith-related guilt. Um yeah. just I think you've kind of talked about that, but do you want to expand on faith-related guilt?
1: Yeah. Oh man. Really that feeling of guilt is what I thought the feeling of a spiritual prompting was. Every single time I was <clears throat> in any sort of faith setting or doing something like reading my scriptures or saying prayers, I would begin to feel this this feeling of like, I need to do more. I should be doing this or this better. And I'd be consumed with this feeling of just guilt. And for a long time, I thought that was God teaching me and giving me counsel, you know? Um, and I really associated that feeling with God, but like I said, eventually I realized that wasn't God, but yeah. I, um, Did that explain your question yeah. or do you have more questions on that?
0: No, that's really good. And listeners, I've shared some of this. I don't want to pivot too much to our own family story, but you know, we, have some experience with this. We sent a son on a mission, and I talked about this and wrote about this to Samoa, and um, he started to get into um, a really bad spot emotionally. He did have the courage to open up to us, had some suicidal ideation, and he we found he was confessing and reconfessing the same things over and over again to his bishop and stake president, who both kept telling him he was worthy to serve. But he didn't believe that. And it got darker and more complicated for him and came close to coming home until I happened to share his symptoms with a, a family friend who's a therapist. And he quickly diagnosed him tentatively with scrupulosity. And then when we passed that diagnosis on to a mental health counselor um, in the Samoan Islands, a, a Utah by the name of Becky Edwards, who's a political candidate here, has since run for political office. She became his therapist and it was a, it was a game. uh, That's a term I'm kind of not trying to use game changer because TV ads use that too much, but it just completely changed his experience because he, it, it just got reframed as not a spiritual weakness, but a mental health issue. And it attacks people. This attacks people that really care about being clean and worthy and doing the right thing. It attacks the thing that's most important to them, um, being in a position to bless the lives of others. And and the best way I learned to understand it is I understand why people compulsively wash their hands. because um, And the compulsion is the washing of the hands. And that, for a moment, helps them feel clean. But in his case, anyway, it was the confession and needing to be validated that he was clean and that helped for a little bit but the therapy at least for our son and you could comment on this lily was exposure response therapy where he learned to um sort of like people with hands learn to live with my hands may not be clean and that's okay um and to live with sort of the dissonance of not completely clean hands and he had to learn to just live with god love me just like lily's So clear about, and I may not be perfect, and that's okay. And God can work through me as a missionary, even if I slept in, even if I ate too much, even if I had an intrusive thought. Um, That's part of the human experience to have intrusive thoughts. The thoughts don't line up with your values. And so that's the way to, you know, not feel bad about an intrusive thought um, and recognize that's not my values. That's not what I want to do. That's just an intrusive thought. That's part of mortality. That doesn't mean I'm a bad person or God's disappointed in me or Satan has control of me that's just part of the mortal experience so I don't know if you want to that's kind of our son Ben and yeah. his experience I don't know if you want to if any of that resonates with you
1: absolutely the exposure therapy is the way that I found peace um and it's terrifying it's it's giving into the one thing that you're afraid of, and that's being dirty in a way, you know, unclean in your own eyes. I opened myself up to things I was terrified of that I thought would mean I was a bad person. For example, really random, I started swearing for the first (laughs) time on my mission. I was a swearing missionary, and I had, in the past, if I had even thought a swear word, I would apologize to God and then feel like I hadn't apologized enough so I apologize again and even then I'd still feel dirty um but on my mission I just started letting them loose and it was actually through that process of just little things like that like getting a second ear piercing and it just and then I would sit and I would just feel and I'd wait and I'd feel my own guilt but then aside from my own guilt I'd feel God's love and I it's the more I did those things and just listened, I was able to differentiate between the two, between God's love and my own guilt. So that's really how I found peace as well.
0: I love that. And I love that we've had some scrupulosity guests in their forties and fifties that have dealt with this undiagnosed their whole life. And here you are. I didn't even ask your age. I assume you're, how old are you?
1: I'm almost 20, (laughs) like two
0: weeks. Almost 20. Um, and you've, you have understand this, and you don't have to go through your whole life um, with sort of undiagnosed scrupulosity. Um, then I want to read, I'm still on the first page of your homecoming talk. Prior to wrestling with scrupulosity perfection, I thought I knew God. I was certain I knew to recognize God's voice and hand in my life. But in hindsight, this all-consuming guilt for every misstep didn't come from any God I wanted to worship, but from the God that I didn't want to someday grow to be like. And those release was a good one. It shook me thoroughly. And so I love the way you went through this kind of what I would call a deconstruction of what you thought God was to a reconstruction through all these experiences you share of who God, our heavenly parents are. It's a really powerful part of your homecoming talk. You wanna talk more about that?
1: Um, would you mind rephrasing the question just a little bit? I want to make sure I understand. And I'm
0: not sure there's a question there. It's just I just I guess more of a statement that I just love that you had this preconception about God. Yeah. That induced guilt and shame and demanded perfectionism. And maybe that was kind of culture versus God, and then you were able to deconstruct and sort of reconstruct um the heavenly parents that you know and you talked about in your homecoming talks, that's probably not a question as much as a statement, unless yeah. you have anything you want to add.
1: Um. Yeah, I just, it really was the most life-changing transformation I've ever undergone. I mean, I can remember back to like when I was like, even like five or six years old sitting in sacrament meeting and feeling, hearing all these thoughts in my head of like, I, I need to do this better. I'm going to do this better. I need to do this better. And I genuinely, like, I thought that was God all the way back then. And so when I hit that point in college, when I just couldn't live that way anymore, I couldn't sit with those feelings any longer. It was honestly terrifying because once I made that realization that that wasn't God, there was no going back because to go back would be living with a fake perception of God, like a not real perception of God. And so if I wanted God in my life, I had to move forward. I had to find who God really was because he surely was not who I had thought. And so it really just started this whole unexpected journey for me that Um, eventually led me to where I'm at now, where I just have such a love of the God I'm coming to understand.
0: Did such a good job. That was a great um, answer. I love all these experiences. So I found God and you write that in capital letters and then you go through these experiences. Um, So much of my belief about God is a, and his ability to bless us listeners, I think, is through the um, service where we serve each other. I know as parents, one of the things that makes um, me the happiest parent when I see um, our kids, six kids love each other. So I've always felt like there's this, you know commandment to love God with all our heart and keep commandments Just kind of the going upwards part of our commandment, which what I would call the vertical. And then there's this horizontal, part of the commandments, which is love our neighbor as ourself. And for me anyway, I, when I do the horizontal part better than my, the vertical part comes easier to me. And so, you know, I probably focused in my life too much on the vertical part. That's still important. I believe in that. Um, but I'm able to do the horizontal part and that's really where I feel God sometimes um as I look at my responsibility, my fellow brother and allow them to serve me. And then you go through all these experiences, Sister Prisbury, um, that are just beautiful. Um, and even your own, I think your own uncle showing up in the, did you say, yeah, your uncle showing up outside your apartment in the Philippines? Um, that meant so much to me. Um, I,
1: he told me to tell you, hi, actually, I think (laughs) you know him. Um, he's actually, he's, he's, gay and he actually also served a mission in the Philippines. And so he came back and visited his mission
0: That's he really cool. me
1: while he was there. And he's no longer a member, but I love him with all my heart. He's one of the most Christlike people I
0: know. Well, I'm glad to know your uncle and I know a little bit about that story, but I love his good heart and the good he's doing and his desire to see you succeed. He could have knocked on your door and told you all the reasons you shouldn't be a missionary, as he's not participating in the church, but he gave you the grace that this is your path, and you're giving him yeah. the grace that's his path. And you're allowing a loving God to love both of you without without judging each other. I'm projecting a little bit on how he feels about you. No,
1: that's accurate. Yeah.
0: And so to me, that the God I believe in is happy about that. And and so, I love that part of your story. And then, these just these consistent stories. Then, I, I found God in my mission present who listened to questions and doubts without judging me because he recognized for this for me, this was growth. That asking my questions was helping to reframe my view of God and build a new testimony. I'm grateful for that. When I explained to him, I strongly desire to go home. He chose to trust me and my ability to discern the path that I needed to take. Um, There's a couple of golden nuggets in there. One is that um, I'm projecting here about your mission, President, that he is mature enough in his understanding of the plan of salvation, his testimony to give you grace and space to figure that out on your own terms and your own time and not to have everybody in the mission have the same type of testimony. Um, and helped you feel like you belong in the process. And then this is really unique. um, Is he trusted you to know what's best for you? I think there's a culture perhaps that as I'm speaking for mission presidents, they have a natural desire to keep everybody on a mission because they want probably them to have the experience of continuing to serve and get through the hard times. But there comes a point where I sense your mission president did this. It's just, you know, Sister Prisby, you know, oh, I, you need to make a decision, and I will support you, and I will love you, and my relationship will not change. And do you want to talk more about that? A, I think it's a beautiful part of your story. Is he trusted you?
1: Yeah. Um, it really just, I heard so many stories about mission presidents that, even as I talked, so. First of all, when I was struggling and considering going home, he asked me, my mission president, um, who I felt close to and who I would go to for advice. And I told him my grandpa is someone that I really appreciate and respect. And so he actually gave me permission to call home and call family on just a normal day during cross hours. And so I called home and... Um, As I talked to them, I just really like, I came to the realization that I needed to go home. And as I talked to them, there kind of was this kind of warning from all my family, like, just so you know, like your mission president would probably convince you. Like, try to convince you to stay and just do all that he can to keep you there. So you might have to, like, face some pushback. And so I went into that conversation just fully stealing myself for pushback and for an argument in some ways. And yet there was, I don't know that he really, like, talked super deeply about, like, how much he loved me and how he would still love me, it was more just that there was no pushback. He just automatically was like, OK, like, I I trust you and I can tell that you feel good about this. So, OK. And, and, and instead of kind of having a long discussion, he just immediately went into planning. He was like, OK, I'm going to make all these calls and we're going to get you on a flight in a couple of days and you're going to go home. And it was it was really just that he put that into action so quickly. It meant so much to me with yeah just no pushback Did the answer your question
0: Did. and um I, I would just sense a lot of maturity on the part of your mission president and his self-worth wasn't tied up into a scorecard of how many missionaries i've heard some of this culturally well i had less than 10 leave while i was there less than five or none and yeah. as a benchmark of a success of mission leaders and I hope we're maturing enough as a church to not look at it that way that our job is like our job is to help people make the best decisions and love them and support them, like you felt as you were leaving the Philippines, a country obviously you loved, a people you loved, um, but you felt it was time not to be on a proselyting mission. And yeah. And then you have this line one of the most transforming ways I have in which I found God was through failure. Um, That's a really brave line to put in a homecoming talk <laughs> and just yeah. to sort of own. And I think I love that because to me, that's a sign of your um, deep spiritual gro- understanding of who you are, the confidence in who you are, your maturity, um, your self-awareness of who you are to be able to talk like that in a public way. And then you go through these things um, and failure you know, as a negative thing generally. But I think I've always felt failures, you know, when we, it's, it can be our finest moment as we just learn and grow. And it's a positive thing. Do you want to talk any more about that?
1: Yeah, I just, I I agree fully with what you said, that it's a positive thing. I think I learned that through this experience. I had always been just someone who, valued success and i always was maybe a little bit of an overachiever and so my mission which i thought was going to be just this pinnacle of my young life you know just this amazing success and i come home just glowing you know and it didn't end up looking like that and um it, it turned into this thing where i just in a lot of ways fell apart because of that deconstruction that we talked about of my faith and to look at myself as a mess and um and look at myself and, and feel just kind of that shame and confusion and yet still have those moments where i felt the god of me it was just yeah it was it was very much a, a good experience even though it was a, a frightening one
0: the god you talk about is the god i believe in it's this non-transactional God where, you know, our heavenly parents' love, I don't believe, is earned. It's just there because we're children of heavenly parents. Worth, worthiness and go to the temple can come and go or fully participate in the church, but worth, I believe, listeners, is set. It doesn't come or go. It isn't something that's earned. And in a world where everything is earned and you're trying to get school right now and got to get good grades and there's kind of a scarcity on the earth and so much of the things we want to do. And But God's love is not like that. And I think that's a real theme of your talk is that, you know, God is there for Sister Prisby, Prisby and, and he is always there and it's not an earned relationship. And um, what you call as failure is growth and God didn't pull away from you and God didn't look negatively on you. And I think that's one of Satan's greatest things that he can do is separate us from false, put thoughts into our mind that we are not worthy of God's love. Um, And then there's a million different reasons that could come into our mind to have us falsely conclude that. Um, So that's my feeling about that. And I think you've articulated that really well. Anything you want to add to that before we move on? Just that I love that. And I fully agree. I think that's beautiful. Now I'm reading, I'm going to reread some of your talk. I found God when I got a second ear piercing to prove to myself that my worth and innate value goes far deeper than how perfectly I've checked boxes. And in that moment, somehow, instead of feeling guilty, I felt so loved and seen by God that I felt that I felt I was worth it. It's a really thoughtful, intentional thing. And I don't think listeners, either of us are asking everybody to go get a second piercing to make sure God loves you. Um, you're smiling. I can see you smiling. Cause that's, but I think it proved it, it for Lily's story. I think it's part of her story that this is something, it wasn't an act of rebellion. It wasn't a spur of the moment thing. It was part of her journey, um, to better connect with God and understand God's love for her. Um, the Strength of Youth pamphlet has gone to a principles based approach. So, getting a second ear piercing is obviously not against church teachings or against the strength of youth. Um, and I'm glad we're kind of moving past this checklist way of seeing ourselves as Latter day Saints to truly developing a relationship with God. President Nelson talks a lot about hear him. And that's going to look a little differently for all of us and the way I hear him and the way. Lily, who walked out of a zone conference (laughs) and heard him up in the mountains, to me, that's just you being very self aware. You know, the walking out of a zone conference isn't something we generally invite people to do, Um, but, or getting a sick, but to me, it's you hearing him and having enough boundaries in that zone conference. Now, this is not helpful for me. I am strong enough to know I need a boundary here and I need to go to my safe place. So I don't look at that as a moment of weakness, a moment of rebellion. I look at that as a moment of Sister Prisby very, being very in tune with Sister Prisby. And I think that in the you're not and the principles of both of those stories, I think, help all of us to be able to be more comfortable with ourselves. And also, hopefully, um, for those of us that see someone walking figuratively out of a zone conference, something we wouldn't do to not project that oh, I would never do that. That's not a faithful person to do that. And just pause and say, they're on a little different journey than I am. Um, and I'm just going to love them and walk with them and support them, even if it looks a little different than my personal journey. Um, any thoughts on that? Maybe those experiences?
1: Um, I think you said that beautifully. And yeah, it, it wasn't so much about what I did it wasn't about the second piercing or the walking out it was just the idea that God's love is not conditional and that there is not one right way to feel God's love because at the beginning of this process for me I would go to the scriptures and I would just search like looking for that like please God just show me your love um and for me, at that time, it didn't come that way. It came eventually when I started that process of, of exposure therapy. And so it was more, yeah, the reason I shared those was just to show that, that God's love comes in so many ways um, and comes through so many different experiences. And it's okay to trust that. It's okay for those experiences to not look... Traditional, perfect, and for me, they were they were mine, and they were beautiful, and everything to me. So.
0: And they mean everything to you. I love that. I found God by falling short over and over again, only to find each time through tiny and precious moments that God's love remained. No matter how many times I fell short in my own eyes, and I didn't show up like show up like I thought I should. God's love remained, even when my love for myself didn't. Just really powerful. And so helpful for me. It's helpful for our listeners. And some might say, well, wait a second, where's personal progress on this? In that, and my feeling, listeners, is personal progress comes more naturally if it's from a position of strength where God loves me um that isn't earned i'm that's already there because of oh, and latter day saints should have even stronger feelings about this because we know we're divine children of heavenly parents and so we we move forward in our lives from a position of strength not a position of not being good enough or trying to earn perfection or so I, i'm not taking like progress off the table with you know neither of us are my feeling is, is progress becomes easier when it's from a position of strength where I'm enough, God loves me, I even the mistakes I made are positive in nature because it helps me understand um, my future. So I just think you have got the gift of communication. Someday you may write a book. Who knows about your experiences? Anything you want to share there before I move on to another section?
1: Um, I just loved what you said so much about how progress comes from a place of strength, like when you are feeling like you know God's love. Um, I so agree with that. I think Ecclesiastes 3 says it so well where it says to everything there is a season. And if during that season of not knowing God's love yet, I had tried to just succeed, you know, progress, hit all my study goals. It would have been like trying to run on a broken leg until I healed those parts of me that were broken. Um, I wouldn't have been able to progress and trying to progress would have been futile for sure.
0: And then in the conclusion, you, you talk about, um, just like you are here, please don't, Please understand, I do not wish to undermine the value of developing good spiritual habits, like church attendance, making time to connect with God through scripture study and prayer. These habits are so important. So it's not like I just want listeners to be clear. It's not like you went rogue here and sold out. That you just have this balance. Um, I'm just so moved. You know, you're a Gen Z, and the last couple episodes ago, we talked about Gen Zs in the UK and. Um, I, I don't want to say millennials or even baby boomers like me don't have it figured out. But um, I see it in, a maturity and improvement with younger people in our world and just the ability to own their own stories, be real vulnerable and honest and authentic. And um, then you end with First John 4, God is love. And I've always felt that that's the healing balm. I think Elder Uchtdorf talks about or President Monson, just the healing balm. Um, that heals the wounded world, is the atonement of Jesus Christ and our love for ourselves and acceptance of ourselves and for others. And then you say, as you can probably see, I'm not a black and white, fit the mold, perfect person, but I served as a missionary and hope that through what I've shared today, you can see that you can be a missionary too. And you talk about your own testimony a little before that. If you don't have an I know the church is true with every fiber of my ding, you didn't put that language in, but I did. Um, Because you, you know, those of you that are listening, that are considering serve a mission, I'll generally invite you to serve. um, Even if you're not sure about everything in the church, um, because of your ability to two things. One, grow, learn a lot about yourself. And the second thing is bless the lives of other people and help them feel the love of Jesus Christ and um, our restored church has a great ability to do that because we have more understanding about Christ and his atonement to not only heal sin but help with woundedness I did a, a training with the mission in California um, for on a zoom meeting and that's the that's the thing I talked about was just assume that everybody you're talking to is wounded and don't just think it's sin woundedness. It's just the woundedness of life. And one of your, and the thing that you can help them understand is the atonement of Jesus Christ. Something that's already been paid can help heal their woundedness. Um, But some of you that are considering out serving may be wounded Um, sin or just the difficulties of life, and you may have an ability because you've walked those roads to really help them. We use this quote a lot. I haven't used it for like five episodes, but a minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded about, wounded by the suffering about which he or she speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led of the desert by someone who's never been there. So in some ways, Lily, you're the wounded healer. You're open about your scrupulosity. You're open about, I'm not a black and white, fit the mold, perfect person. And you've had some woundedness in that that you've been open about. But then you have this ability, and I'm sure we could find people in the Philippines, people in your service mission that say, Sister Prisby was just the person that got me. He's the first person that really understood me. And who I am and help me feel loved. And that will be part of your whole life as a wounded healer um, for others. And that's me talking to Sister Prisby, obviously, but also to just those of you that are considering missionaries or those of you that feel a little woundedness. Um, The Savior will help um, heal that. Um, I also love this quote from Brene Brown. Um, fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming who you need to be in order to be accepted. Belonging, on the other hand, doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. So you are doing a great job of just not trying to change yourself into somebody that we may think you should be to fit in, but you're doing a great job of just accepting who you are and being pretty transparent in a brave way about that. And that's remarkable. It's a sign of your inner confidence about who you are. Even in a homecoming talk, you can say, I'm not a black and white, fit the mold, perfect person. I think that's a I think that's a I don't think that's arrogant. I don't think that's prideful. I think it's just a really um confident statement of who you are that's beautiful. And the God that I believe in created you just the way you are. And you are beautiful and unique and gifted. And I don't ever want you to f- feel like you. I mean, I just, I'm not your father, your bishop, or your stick present, or your, I'm not any church leader, obviously, in your life, or even a family member. But I just love you own who you are. And I think that makes the rest of your life mission possible. And it gives hope to others that don't fit in, um, but they can actually belong. And to me, that's part of creating Zion. And you are doing that. Um, I've got one more quote in my head, but I just want to see if you've got anything you... I've kind of gone on a little bit. Anything you want to say?
1: I just want to say thank you. I I really appreciate that. Just helping me feel seen. That That was my goal from the start, was just to, through owning who I am, helping others to do the same. If that makes sense. So... I really appreciate everything you said. It means so much
0: to me. Well, you have a great life ahead of you. <laughs> I'd love to see where you are 20 years in the life you've built um, for yourself and a family. I think that, and I think whoever you marry, you know, this is maybe me talking to those of you that don't quite fit the mold. And if you're single and wondering, does somebody want someone like me? And my feeling is they're looking for someone just like you. Um, so I assume someday you'll be married and we got your husband on the podcast. He would say, this is why I married Lily is just because of who she is. And I love her being authentic and open and real. And that's the kind of marriage I want with somebody like that. And the kind of person I want to raise our kids. And so that's just me speaking to unmarried Latter-day Saints that, You know, if you fit the mold, that's great. Um, I don't want to feel have you feel shame or guilt for fitting the mold or feeling like you shouldn't. You know, some that really just fit in and everything clicks and uh, we need you too. You're part of Zion. Um, But if you feel like, you know, you don't quite fit in, um, your potential spouse may really like that about you. And it may help you as you complement each other to be really effective parents also think of the quote for as we're doing this podcast from Gene Kratz that I share sometime at Apollo 13. And everything seems to be going kind of sideways on that mission as they're returning to Earth. And, and his whole command mission around him is kind of talking negatively. And he just stands up and says, excuse me, this is going to be our finest hour. And I love that. And so when things are kind of going sideways and you've had some curveballs with... I'm coming home from a proselyting mission, going to a service mission. It's not exactly what you thought. So, but I think this has been your finest moment. And your homecoming talk is sort of post-Apollo 13 in that incredibly successful mission mission, coming back to Earth and doing a news conference and talking about why it was an incredible successful mission, just like your own mission was, and how that strengthened the Apollo program and how your mission is strengthen you and make the rest of your life possible and your gift to help other people belong so sister Lily Prisbury thank you for being on the podcast if your family's listening your parents your grandparents your mission present your service leaders your companions thank you for all you've done in your service and the wonderful people you've are that have helped um, supported Lily and and all the people that are out there saying, "I'd like you to know how much Lily supported me." Um, I know there's lots of stories. Anything in closing you'd like to say?
1: Just thank you. I I didn't know honestly giving this talk initially if just how it would fall. You know, it's hard knowing when you're that vulnerable if people will accept it lovingly or maybe not. And just the fact that you gave me this opportunity to share that message on this platform, um, it just meant so much to me. And it was like a confirmation for me that my my experiences were real and good and, and valuable. And it meant so much to me. So thank you.
0: Tell our listeners, thank you for that so much. Tell our listeners when you walked off the stand, Some people have what's called a vulnerability hangover. Somebody coined that for me and says you're vulnerable. And then you kind of wonder like, oh no, did you, as you walked off the stand, the meeting ended, what kind of response did you get from your ward family?
1: Oh, I was so grateful. Um, I've been so blessed to have a ward that is open-minded and loving and willing to look at new perspectives and just the amount of people that came up to me and and hugged me and were vulnerable back and yeah. shared that shared how much it meant to them in very vulnerable ways with with tears in their eyes. It just it meant so much to me, and it just did so much to quell those fears that I had shared too much or that I had said something wrong. So
0: it's great, and that's there's a lesson there that when people are vulnerable, they really. They really need um, an extra measure of love and support to know that was helpful for them. And then often, as you pointed out, vulnerability brings vulnerability. And if we're vulnerable, it communicates to others that we are a safe person to open up about the realities of their lives. And then we can bless people when we know and help people when we really know what's going on. Felt a great spirit. This is done via Zoom listeners, and sometimes... Um, Sometimes I feel a really strong spirit, and I felt that um, talking with Sister Prisbury and this tender topic and this wonderful, courageous sister missionary. I'm still calling you Sister Prisbury, even though you've been released. But I think that's okay, because we're talking about your mission. (laughs) So we will sign off. This is um, Richard Osler and Lily Prisbury on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.